This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunny Night Health Show. We're in the second hour of the program. Thanks so much for being here with me. If it's your first time, welcome to the Sunny Night Health Show. We talk about evidence-informed information to help you to lead a better life. In this hour of the program, we're going to be continuing a little bit with... um, uh, little bit with that pseudoscience. Uh, one of the doctor that is joining me very shortly, Dr. Jen Gunter, uh, she stands up against pseudoscience and she's um, clarified some things that Gwyneth Paltrow has put out on her website, Goop, and, um, and I've even seen her take to social media about some things, other things that are happening perhaps in Trump town. Um, But we're going to be talking about the cause of a sexless relationship, uh, in particular when it is the man. So she'll be joining me on the line very shortly. Also going to be taking your emails and your calls, reading some of your emails. So thank you so much for those. If you want to give me a call, 604-280-9898, or if you're long distance, 1-877- 399-9898. You can always email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. That's nursetalk at hotmail.com. N-U-R-S-E-T-A-L-K at hotmail.com. Going to be also talking about whether it's healthy for you to have your pet in your bed with you. If there's no one else, why not bring your furry friend in? But uh, actually, there's a, a study that was done, not too robust of a study, but nonetheless, it can. it's going to... Um, Put a smile on the face of you pet owners, of us pet owners, shall I say. Uh, Also going to be talking about erection function a little bit more and um, also how to have the best possible intimate life you can. Uh, But right now, without further ado, I would like to introduce to you Dr. Jen Gunter. She is an OBGYN and pain medicine physician. She is Canadian trained and now based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Good evening, Dr. Gunter. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Much appreciated. My pleasure, my pleasure. I also thoroughly enjoy your tweets. (laughs) Uh, It's fantastic. Thanks. I like, you know, uh, this week alone, I've been told by several people in the business world, um, don't one said, don't be so hard. <laughs> and when I spoke up, somebody else said, these are all men, somebody else um, said, Maureen is, is blunt. She will tell it like it is. You know, I mean, really. <laughs> so I appreciate somebody else who, you know, speaks the truth and, and tells it like it is. So, um, and, and I know that uh, there have been some issues um, around information coming from a particular website called Goop, which has, you know, from jade eggs to... Uh, colonic coffee, colonic enemas, uh, which I, which can be quite frankly dangerous for women. So I really appreciate, in all seriousness, you speaking up against those types of things. Thank you. Yeah, it can be very hard for people to kind of separate the woo from the science, and uh, so I'm just doing my little bit to to point out the fake news. Well, you know what, you do a great job because you're really making a tremendous presence on social media. And, um, and and so I think it's great. And I think people need this information because we can be wooed or, you know, some people can be wooed by the fact that somebody is a star. So if, if uh, you know, somebody famous is saying this, it must be true. But, you know, it can actually lead to uh, 
quite a bit of danger in a, in a person's um, life. And, and again, it's vulnerable people often look to these solutions and, and absorb them and, and take them as, um, you know, real medicine or real news. And uh, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's very easy for that. Well, it's very easy for that to happen. I mean, celebrities sell things very well. That's why they're used uh, to sell products. And, and when celebrities speak up about their health, we know that there uh, can be an, definitely an effect. For example, when Angelina Jolie spoke out about, um, you know, getting tested for breast cancer, the breast cancer gene. So there can be good effects, but there can also be bad effects when celebrities are talking about things like putting a jade egg in your vagina, which you shouldn't do, or having a coffee colonic, which you shouldn't do. It's easy for people to get swayed. And then with, you know, all the fake news on social media, once, once you've seen a story three or four times, people start thinking that maybe there's some truth to that. So, uh, so there's a variety of different ways that it can affect people negatively. Absolutely. And that doc, Dr. Google is alive and well. And, you know, sometimes I see on Facebook, um, you know, people will give suggestions. Somebody will say they have a, a particular symptom or a problem and what should they do? And somebody else, you know, a a Facebook friend that they may never even have met, never mind somebody who has any clinical training or, or a medical background, gives a suggestion, and they take it. And it's often one of those natural suggestions that has no evidence behind it, has not been tested. And once again, I will speak up for that. I have to say, I'm a, I'm a little bit shy so I, uh, in speaking up on Facebook. Uh, but so I really appreciate uh, your voice on Twitter. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's important to speak up when you see things that are dangerous. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're going to talk about, I don't know if you know this, Dr. Gunter, but I did this uh, TEDx talk called The No Sex Marriage, Masturbation, Cheating, Loneliness, and Shame. <laughs> Have you seen it? Oh, I, I no, I, I, I don't. I, I'm actually not a, a big follower of TED Talks. So, it's okay. Um, not so to worry. That's okay. I still had over 12 million views <laughs> on it. In, in a year and a half. But what it said is, um, you know, these are issues for people. I knew that. I, I speak to people in my clinical practice about their intimate lives. And, and I knew this was an issue. And this was a big shame for a lot of people. And, and I've done uh, some work uh, here in Vancouver around um, low sexual desire, some research participated in um, or, or helped to coordinate mm-hmm. research studies around that. And, and I'd seen this in my clinical practice. And mostly what I had seen was more women were complaining of low sexual desire. They loved their husband. They wanted to stay married They or, or with, with their partner, but uh, they had no sexual desire, and their partner was patient. This was another uh, common theme. And, and so when this TED Talk was posted on, on YouTube, one of the most uh, frequent comments that I received was, and I did mention it just slightly because you only have 18 minutes or so, And I did mention that it can be the man as well, but so many women spoke up and they said, what about when it's the man who has the low sexual desire, not the woman? When is somebody going to do a talk on when women are rejected by the man in their lives? A lot of people might not believe this, but you wrote a phenomenal article, When the Cause of a Sexist Relationship is, surprise, the man for the Mm NewYorkTimes.com. So tell me why you uh, wrote that article. Well, you know, I my column for the New York Times, the cycle, I try to write about things that aren't spoken about. You know, when you listen to women 
talking about their private lives for 25 years, their sexual private lives, you hear a lot of things that aren't really written about. And I think part of it is because a lot of things are poorly studied, and when they are studied or written about, they're written about from a man's perspective. And so that's how we get the story that it's always, you know, the woman who's frigid and the man who is horny. And what I have heard from my patients is certainly that's not the case. And and I once also experienced that phenomenon myself in a relationship where my partner was not interested. And so, you know, I've written about um, what it's like to lose a child. I've written about a lot of other things that have happened personally to me. And, and this dovetails back a little bit with our discussion about just a bit earlier about fake news and the stories on the internet. Stories are very powerful. And so I find that when you talk about a story, something that happened to one person, it, it brings people in and they can imagine themselves in that same position. So that, that's why I decided to write about it. Absolutely. And it, and it certainly does happen. And I've seen it in my clinical practice as well. Um, I And I, what I've noticed is, and, and let's just say, depending on the study or the survey that you look at, approximately 15% of married couples are sexless. And that is defined... Uh, maybe sex less than 10 times a year or um, no sex in the past six months to one year. Um, so that's uh, how common it, how common it is and and that is um, how it's defined. Um, so mostly I had seen the women with low sexual desire uh, in part because I deal with bladder health issues and vaginal health issues. So I, I see more women. But when a woman is rejected by a man, it seems to have a much more devastating effect than it does on the man who's rejected by the woman because the man feels part of a club. They feel like, oh, we've had the kids. She's busy. She's working in outside of the home. She doesn't want sex. They, you know, they're kind of all in that club together. But a woman... And, and correct me if I'm wrong, in your experience, have you found that women actually have more shame um, when this happens to them? Well, I, I can't speak about how men feel because I don't ever care for men in the office. So I, you They know, just I get frustrated and complain and they're so, gonna, their heads are going to blow off. And that's basically what I hear from, <laughs> from men. Yeah. So, so, I, I, you know, so I don't hear that. But what I can say is that that's that a lot of women do have difficulty speaking about it because society tells us that men are men are horny all the time. Mm-hmm. So women then assume that there's something wrong with men. Um, and I think that men have the luxury when their female partner doesn't want to have sex that they assume that there's something wrong with their female partner. So it's always the woman's fault, right? It's always so I, I Yeah, so I hear that a lot, that there must be something wrong with me. And in fact, a lot of women really internalize that and, you know, start to develop medical problems or think that they have a medical problem because I think it's easier to say that there's something physically broken than to actually step back and say, wait a minute, there's actually something wrong with my partner and there's nothing wrong with me. And so I bring it up really quite frequently now to give women the opportunity to hear that and to reflect and to see if that's you know, what could be happening for them. And if it isn't, then it isn't. But I'm surprised at the number of times that it comes up and uh, um, the revelation that it's not just them and the number of women who've reached out to me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram after this article 
I was published a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. you know, really I, it didn't surprise me because I knew that they're there everywhere I go where I have a conversation because people always want to talk to me about sex because that's what I talk about. You know, I, I slip that in and every single woman has either had it happen to them or it's happened to a friend of theirs. So I would say that it's probably the exact same number of men and the exact same number of women who are, you know, the one who has the lower libido in the relationship. It's just society tells us it's only the women. Interesting. Um, You know, I certainly have noted all the comments and there have been 10,000 comments on, on, on my YouTube video where I did mention it. But how women, um, you know, it, were experiencing this and how they felt that this was a TED Talk that needed to be delivered. We're going to go to break and we're going to, if you, I'll ask you to hang on the line, Dr. Gunter, and uh, we have a caller. Sure. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Dr. Jen Gunter, OBGYN and pain medicine physician and worrier for real medicine on social media. Uh, Canadian-trained doctor and now based in San Francisco, joins me on the line uh, to talk about the low sexual desire that not only plagues women, but plagues men as well. Studies of sexual dysfunction typically focus on gender-specific problems, and they focus on low desire in women and performance problems in men. But we don't have a whole lot of research around how much um, how much low sexual desire affects men, but there is a study um, that was done in Croatia, Portugal, and Norway, and found that 14.4% of men, and the study was around around 5,000 men, uh, reported a troubling lack of sexual desire lasting two months or longer within the previous year. And um, so we think of low sexual desire for uh, affecting women, but not necessarily men. Thank you, Dr. Gunter, for hanging on the line. I do have Rob on the uh, line to uh, a man who wants to talk a little bit about uh, why men don't have sex in marriage. Hello, Rob. Hi, how are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? So basically, I had a 15-year relationship, and it came to an end, and we're fairly amicable. We can we have one child together. She's 11, and we can go to the same things, and we don't argue, and I just pay, and she visits, and all that stuff. So I'm not coming from any hateful standpoint on Great. women whatsoever, but what I do is I read a lot, and basically, from various books I read, and I pulled over so I don't have them in front of me, but from day one, men have always looked for the healthiest female and women have always looked for the strongest, most productive males. Being in a more modern society that takes on two different meetings and being as my family's from the former Yugoslavia, the last five years of our marriage, we had no sex. And it's a very simple thing. She doubled her weight. She nagged. She complained. She didn't reciprocate. Um, I didn't have a moment without badgering. I didn't have like I went from a stressful day at work to coming home. And it's not like I'm innocent in this, you know. No, I know. Because what I say to the patients in my clinical practice is take the mirror and flip it on yourself. What is it that, how did you contribute to the sexlessness in your marriage? We're talking about low sexual desire in men. Dr. Gunter, um, hello? Well, my my low sexual desire Uh came because my spouse was no longer appealing to me. Okay. And then on top of that, verbally was not like there was no reciprocating even afterwards when i've had any situation with women if they're very distant and they don't reciprocate and things are expected and there there's nothing there i can't perform some guys can i can't okay thank you rob for your call i appreciate that dr gunter 
Um, do you see that in your uh, in your clinical practice with the women that you see? Um, what what are the reasons that they're stating that the men are not uh, desiring sex from them? Well, I don't think that they actually are understand why, because it's a very difficult subject to bring up. You know, because many women think that it's only them, they don't bring it up. Right? They think there's something wrong with them. Right. So that's part of the problem that they don't actually discuss it. But I think what studies tell us and what research tells us that there could be a myriad of reasons. And yes. so, you know, men can suffer from low libido, especially men over the age of 40 who have a higher incidence of erectile dysfunction. Um, that might affect their libido if they think that they're going to have performance difficulties. Obviously, relationship difficulties, as we just heard about from Rob, if uh, you're having a relationship difficulty, that might affect your libido. Um, if people are straying outside of marriage or watching a lot of porn, there can be a variety of different things stress, depression, medication side effects. Uh, it's possible that one partner in the relationship may actually, you know, be gay, and that could be a reason. Somebody could be on the asexual spectrum. So there could really be a, a whole host of reasons. And so I think it's, but unless you start talking about it, or as, a, as opposed to making assumptions, um, then you won't know. Absolutely. No, you make a great point. And, and, and Rob made a great point as well. I hear this a lot in my clinical practice about they're, they're no longer attracted to the partner because of the weight. It can be a bit of a paunch, a, bil, uh, you know, a belly paunch to you know, having gained 100 pounds since the birth of the children and, and haven't been able to take it off. Well, I, I think that that's obviously a two-way street, and I like to think that you love somebody because because you love them. I like to think um, that too, but that's not what I'm hearing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know, I think that those are reasons for, for couples to discuss um, and, and to, to go into therapy. I, I absolutely. Think that, um, you know, physical attractiveness can definitely change over time. That's right. And Dr. Gunter, I'm going to ask you to hang on if you don't mind. Everybody. We've got to go to break. We've got a hard out. I'm Maureen McGrath. Sure. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. We're talking about sexual desire. And when you lose that sexual desire, whether it be men or women, Dr. Jen Gunter is my guest. She's an OBGYN and a pain doctor, Canadian trained. She's working down in the States now. Dr. Gunter, thanks for hanging on the line with me. I, I wanted to talk about um, this this heartfelt, beautifully written, eloquent article that you wrote for the, your column in the New York Times um, when the cause of a sexist relationship is, surprise, the man. Um, you talk about frequency, and, and I get this question too, how, you know, how often should a couple be having sex? And, and um, that's one aspect of it. If both people are happy, then, then that's a healthy sex life. And, and it's really, uh, you know, talk amongst themselves. But one thing I wanted to talk about, a lot of people say, and myself included, you know, sex is good for you. Sex is healthy. It will release certain hormones and neurotransmitters may spike in response to having sex, but that doesn't account for um, a rewarding relationship or how busy women are today or, or people are today working inside and outside the home. The dads are a whole lot more involved, hormone, hormonal impacts, grocery shopping, multitasking, doing it all, sandwich generation. So how do we deal with frequency in that context? Well, I, I think it's important to think about what you like and what you want and, and to discuss it with your partner. So if everybody's happy 
having sex once a week or once a month, then, then that's fine. But I, I think also, too, it's important to recognize that maybe one person in the relationship may have a more receptive libido and once the sort of the opportunity for sex arises then they may sort of respond to it uh, and those are things that if it's bothersome to one person to you know discuss with a therapist or to just go with it if, if every time you ask you're going to get a yes maybe you're okay with being the one who always has to ask you know diff- different couples are are content with different things and of course I think it's awesome. go ahead Mm-hmm. It's also. I was going to say it's also important important to recognize that you know libido may wax and wane in a relationship. You know, for example, um, after having a baby, a woman may have a lower libido for a period of time. Obviously, you know, there's going to be a period of time where she physically can't be sexually active anyway. Um, and the same thing happen could happen for a male partner. A male partner may have. Uh, surgery or something else that goes on. And so if you're in a long-term committed relationship, those temporary waxes and wanes shouldn't really affect things. The most important thing that I tell people is, is that if for some reason you're not being sexually active, meaning having penetrative intercourse, that it's important to stay intimate in other ways. So hand-holding, cuddling, kissing, snuggling, because the big problem I see is when people not only haven't had sex for, say, six months, but they also haven't cuddled or held hands or kissed. And, and so that's a pretty hard start or a cold start, I guess, um, versus people who are still intimate in other ways. And so I think it's important to look at the intimacy aspect of the relationship as well. I think it's very important, and I think often men uh, are not credited with um, appreciating intimacy. I, I hear that from the male patients that I see after prostatectomy, and what they'll say is if they're having erection function issues, they, they actually miss the intimacy. You shared your own personal story with this, where your male partner um, lost sexual desire. Uh, so you, you can relate to this. Yeah, I mean, and and I decided that 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 wasn't going to be the relationship for me, and and moved on, which is a very hard thing to do. Not everybody's in the situation where they can do that, and change is is very difficult. Uh, but you know, I think that uh, people have to decide what what's right for them, and for some people, that will be working on it. Some people it'll just be knowing that they're not alone, and and other people it, it may be moving on. And so, but I think that the 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 whole point for me of writing that article was just for women to realize that you know it that there are other women out there and their story isn't unique and sometimes realizing that you're not alone is the best medicine and i think when we share stories especially as women we empower other women and girls and and i think that's what you've done so beautifully here is is within this fabulous article you've also shared your own personal story with this particular issue um, when a man doesn't want sex. And, uh, and you know, that is, that's really incredible. And, and that's the kind of thing that women can relate to and, you know, um, and, and really appreciate, I'm sure. Well, I, I, if it, if it's helped even one person, then obviously it was, it was worthwhile. So, so that's, that's, kind of where I'm coming from. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're a better woman than I am <laughs> sharing uh, your personal stories. Uh, and how uh, you're fabulous to follow on, on Twitter. Um, so you. your Twitter handle is? Dr. Jen Gunter. And uh, Facebook page. In the Dr. Fa- Jen Gunter. Dr. Jen Gunter. So just Google Dr. Jen Gunter and you'll see everything yep. that this amazing woman and- has been up to. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And it, it's so helpful for women. And we really need this voice, especially in these times. So Dr. John Gunter, thank you for being my guest. I really appreciate it. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, we are in the final strokes of the program. I'm going to read some emails that I've received from you. And thank you all so much for your emails. I love receiving them because I learn from you. I learn what your issues are, what you want to learn about. And by all means, pop me an email, nursetalk at hotmail.com. N-U-R-S-E-T-A-L-K at hotmail.com. If you have any questions at all. Uh, for me, uh, it's all private and confidential. I will change the names to protect the innocent or guilty, if that's your situation. Um, but no, thanks so much. And I also, um, you can give me a call if you like, 604-280-9898. Or for those who are long distance, the number to call is one 877 and so in line with the subject that we were talking about with this, which is basically desire discrepancy between men and women in heterosexual relationships, it can also happen in same-sex relationships as well. Desire ebbs and flows. It's up and down. It may change for one and, you know, be up at one time. Nobody's ever going to have a matched uh, desire for one another at all times, especially given the biopsychosocial model within um, our intimate lives and our professional lives and our uh, personal lives. All of that needs to be taken into account. So there are a number of reasons why one may lose sexual desire. But I had a really interesting email that I thought, which I was really happy to receive this email because it actually underscored what responsive desire is in in women. And so I'm just going to read this to you first. Dear Maureen, I'm a 40-year-old man, and I just finished watching your TED Talk about sexless marriages. To start, I'm not in a sexless marriage. My wife and I have been married for 17 years. We have a set of twins, and we have sex on a consistent basis. So what's the problem, right? So you're probably wondering, what's my problem, right? The problem that I have is that my wife tells me she has no interest in sex. None. Zippo. Zero. In fact, she told me that if it were up to her, we probably would never have sex. What baffles me is that every time we have sex, when she wants to, which lately has been fairly consistent, she has multiple orgasms. Mostly, I make sexual advances to her, and she doesn't want to have sex, but she does it anyway. She can have anywhere from two to four orgasms at a time. I can't reconcile the fact that when she doesn't want to have sex and does, she experiences a ton of pleasure. But for some reason, in spite of this fact, she tells me that she has no desire to have sex. <laughs> Are you confused yet? Any thoughts or words would be much appreciated. Thank you, Devin. Okay, Devin, here's the deal. We think of sexual desire in women as that the desire comes first. But that happens more commonly if there's matched 
desire and people are wanting to have sex at the beginning of a relationship. We see that a little bit more with a new relationship or with a, a an affair or an infidelity. We see that excitement, that desire comes first, that can't get enough of each other, can't keep the clothes on anytime, anywhere, uh, excitement. Then life happens after you're together for 18 months to four years, things kind of settle in, you have children, you're working outside of the home, a woman perhaps, um, which is the case here. Um, and this woman doesn't desire sex because she feels that she's looking at it as a linear model, which was the Masters and Johnson research that sex, that the, that the female sexual response cycle began with desire, went with arousal, excitement, lubrication, plateau, orgasm. But we have another model that was developed by Dr. Rosemary Basson that actually speaks to a lot of women, and it's a biopsychosocial model. And that is that the, you know, I'm going to digress a little bit here. Women have sex for a whole lot of reasons, hundreds of reasons. And sometimes women don't want to have sex, but they do. And so they decide to have sex because of the intimacy of the relationship, because they're tired of you nagging them, because they're just going to get it over with, because they want a new pair of shoes, because they're happy, because they feel they should do it, haven't done it in a while. I mean, there's a million reasons why. Um, it might be because they're having an extramarital affair that actually can increase arousal in, in a woman. So there's a number of reasons, but oftentimes women are too tired they're on their computers, they're multitasking, they're uh, too busy, they're part of the sandwich generation, looking after their parents, looking after the children, uh, looking after feeling that everything is on them. They may be experiencing uh, mood alterations. And so they don't really have desire at the beginning. And, but they decide to do it anyway, for whatever reason. And they enjoy it. And they m- likely go on and have an orgasm if that is what a woman wants. If that is, uh, if a woman is able to experience orgasm, if there's no issues surrounding that, um, then she's enjoying sex. So it's okay that your wife, in fact, we say to a lot of women, we educate or I educate a lot of women saying, if you don't feel desire for your partner, uh, you know, taking a page out of Nike's book, just do it. And if you are enjoying it, you are responding to it, you are going through the sexual response cycle, you're having satisfying sex, we call that responsive desire. And and so, you know what? I wouldn't complain. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry that you can't reconcile the fact that uh, that she doesn't want to have sex, but when she does, she enjoys it. That's okay. Um, and so it, I, I found that that's probably the only email that I've ever received in the years that I've been uh, in the public uh, talking about or educating about sex, um, educating about sex. That's the only one that I uh, that actually defined, you know, what a, what sounds to be like a responsive sexual desire and that's that's the nature of it. So enjoy it, my friend. A lot of people would like to. Um, and you know what? Maybe there's nobody in your bed. Maybe you decided to bring someone out of the doghouse and into your bed, and it's not your husband. Um, for most, you know, when I was growing up, my uh, neighbor, 
<laughs> our neighbors had a uh, dry cleaning business, and but he'd started from nothing, and he before he moved to our neighborhood, he lived in a very dangerous area. And they were immigrants to the U.S. And they lived in a very dangerous area. And he actually had to protect his shop um, using a rifle. And and so uh, he, you know, worked very hard. And um, and you know, he made it. And and so then he they moved in next door to us. And they had a few kids. And they had a dog that was treated like a princess. And I remember the grandfather of the kids saying, when I come back in my next life, I want to come back as an American dog. They are treated so well. We love our pets. We do. I love mine. Um, It's unconditional love. But probably you've had this thought, should I bring them into bed with me? I mean, there's no one else. Let's bring them in. (laughs) And you know what? There are no dog houses. The dogs are in the beds. According to American Pet Products Association, an industry trade group, almost 60% of dog owners say they regard their pet as a child or member of the family. I don't go that far. Um, I, I'm just leaving my, everything to my dog. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and many let their dogs snuggle up to sleep right in their human owner's bed, often alongside their owners. I have a harrier dog and harriers like to burrow. Not only is my dog in my bed, my dog is burrowing in there. Um, I actually like the dog sleeping on top of me, but is sleeping in the same bed with your dog a good idea? And would that be disruptive? Sleep is so important. Well, there was a, a recent study that was done at the Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. They only studied about 40 dogs, none of whom were puppies. So they studied these dogs who slept in the bedrooms with their owners. And the humans were all generally good sleepers. I'm a phenomenal sleeper, okay? I'm a great sleeper. I don't have a sleep disorder. I often can wake up in the morning being like, who am I? What do I do? What's my life? You know, that's how deeply I sleep. Well, in this particular study, the dogs wore a device called Fitbark, which is an activity tracker that attaches to the collar and records whether the animal is at rest and sleeping or active and at play. And the people wore ActiWatch, an, a, another activity monitor that recorded their movements and whether they are sleeping soundly or not. And they were both set to sample movement every minute. And, and also the humans, not the dogs, kept the sleep diary. Um, so they did this testing or the, uh, this, yeah, this testing over seven days. And the researchers found that with a dog in the bedroom, both the humans and the dogs slept reasonably well. Humans had a mean sleep efficiency or the percentage of time spent to sleep while in the bed of 81%. Pretty darn good. While the dogs had a sleep efficiency, of course, it's a dog's world, 85%. So levels over 80% are generally considered satisfactory sleep. People slept slightly better when the dog was off the bed and dogs slept the same whether they were on the bed or in another location in the bedroom. Perhaps you're sleeping with a dog, not a furry dog, another dog. Anyway, (laughs) the research results do not apply there then to you. If you're sleeping with a dog, you know, get rid of the dog. Um, But a puppy or a furry, a real furry um, animal, it's okay and you're going to have a decent sleep. Um, you know, it's good to know that you're going to have a decent sleep when you bring 
your dog into your bed with you. Now, there is the thing about the fur in the bed and the sheets, and mm, it is something that does bother me not enough to kick Sophie off of the bed, however, I must say. so. Um, but you know what? The dogs bring us so much joy. They never complain. They never want any money. They they don't cry. They don't... You know, they, they bark. Mine's a bit of a barker. But... Um, and so it's, um, you know, we, this is just such big business and, um, and <laughs> is your dog coming into your bed tonight? Uh, you know, you can actually make that decision as well. So you don't have to, uh, always have your dog in the bed. I did have a, an email from somebody in Croatia. I'm just trying to find that email. And he asked about, and I wanted to get to this, um, about NoFap. And so, um, uh, you know, what did I think of NoFap? It was, um, it, what did I think? I liked his, I liked his wording. <laughs> I'm a, oh, that's the other guy. Um, I, he said that he was, oh yeah. Hi, my name is, uh, uh <laughs> I won't give his name. I am 30 years old and I am Slo- from Slovenia. I saw your videos on YouTube and it's really interesting for me because I want to know what you, what do you think about NoFap? I started doing NoFap, and I am at 10 days now. I feel okay, but I am horny all the time. Well, I don't think it matters what I think about NoFap, but I think, yeah, your body's telling you something about NoFap. A lot of people decide to stop masturbating as a way to deal with porn addiction or uh, a sex addiction if they feel they have that. I've I've had a lot of um, men in my clinical practice recently coming up, and, and even a couple I had recently who... Um, felt that porn addiction was a problem in their life. Well, they were actually in sexless relationships. And so they were nervous that they were sex addicts or porn addicts. And, um, but, you know, the, there's a reason for the porn. Um, it wasn't interfering with their life. It wasn't a problem. Um, uh, anyway, so, uh, I don't think, um, NoFap is necessarily a great idea. Anyway. Um, and you know what? You need to talk to a therapist if you feel that you have a uh, sex addiction. Anyway, we are out of time. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for a bang-up job tonight. And remember, you can follow me on Twitter at back the number two the bedroom. When you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I'm Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.